Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, how's the beach? Oh, the beach is lovely, and I'm in my room taping with you, which is nothing absolutely fabulous, but our guest today, now, I don't mind staying inside for our guest today. (laughs) Absolutely fabulous guest. Welcome, Miss Erin Martin. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. You know, as Sharon tips up her glass of wine there. Gosh, you're not supposed to. What do you mean? We got to call you out a little bit. Come on. (laughs) We're taping after five. It's an evening taping session. It's fair game. Fair game. That's it, and it's after tax time, so I bet you've got your glass of wine hidden somewhere, Jeremy. Mm, I don't know. It's after tax time. They extended to May 17th, so we're still rolling. Well, then, so you've got tequila back there. Gosh. (laughs) After the 17th, I will have for sure. Oh, my goodness. Well, Erin, I'm excited about your topic today, generational influences. You know, Sharon's from a different generation than me and you are, so... It'll be interesting. Oh, look at that look on her face. (laughs) Wow. It's a good thing this is only audio right now. It's a very good thing. (laughs) Oh, well, we're going to talk about the challenges and opportunities in SRNA education. And I'm really looking forward to this one. As I was reading through it, I thought, man, we're going to have a fun time with this one. Oh, this is a great topic. And we've been trying to get her on to do this for quite some time. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorite topics. I think that so much of what we run into with conflicts, whether it be in the workplace or in families, or for me in the world of education, I think when you really boil down the root cause of a lot of whether it's miscommunication or different perspectives on things, a lot of it comes down to the generation that we're from. And the fact that we were molded by the things that happened in the world during our formative years. 
And that really influences our outlook and how we approach different situations. So I think it's a fascinating topic and I'm excited to visit with you about it. What does that mean? Is that why we can't communicate effectively with our kids? I mean, is that part of this? I mean, they speak another language, you know? They absolutely do. They yeah. abs- And they view things so differently. And I, I think that is yeah. what c- it comes down to. And when you think about the fact that we have four generations in the workplace right now, it's no wonder we have breakdowns that occur when we're trying to communicate to each other, speaking those different languages. Yeah, this is just fascinating. Erin, why don't you give our listeners just a little bit about your background and kind of what brought yeah. you to this place today? Yeah, so um, I am a nurse anesthetist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I was a nurse here as a new graduate and then came to nurse anesthesia school, went through the program here, worked as a staff nurse anesthetist, and then became part of our program faculty. In 2010, I officially joined the program faculty as a core member, and then in 2008 became associate program director and Now, here we are in July, I assumed the role of the program director of the nurse anesthesia program. And so it's very, very interesting in my role to look at the different generations because we have, we usually end up with kind of a cluster of people from one generation in each nurse anesthesia class cohort, but we often have people who fall in those different generations. And so that can make some of our conversations and our approach to things very, very interesting. So I met Sharon at a conference a couple of years ago, and I'm just really thrilled to have made that connection and it's fun to be back here with you. So why don't you talk about each of the generations and give us some information about each one and then maybe you can guess which one I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I might know, but um, I think you might be on the cusp. I think you might be a customer and I'll talk about what that means. But really we have in the world today, we have really five generations, four of which are in the workplace right now. But we have traditionalists who are those born before 1945. So my father was traditionalist. It helps me understand people when I can kind Mm -hmm. of put a face or a person to that title. We have the baby boomers, and they were the ones born from about 1945 to 1965. My mom's a baby boomer. So it was interesting for me growing up with the parents, one traditionalist, one baby boomer. I'm a proud Gen Xer, born between 65 and 80. Then we have Gen Y or the millennials who were 1980 to about 2000. And then we have Gen Z, who are the ones born in about 2000 and younger, which seem like the kids, but those kids are 21 right now. So they're entering the workforce, which is pretty crazy. And then lo and behold, you know, after Gen Z, what do you end up with? Well, we end up with Generation Alpha. That's what Alpha. So that's what the 2010s till now are being labeled as, is Generation Alpha. Alpha. We're starting over after the Zs. So that's kind of who we've got. And it's interesting. Five years ago, I put together a talk about generational influences in the workplace. And at that time, traditionalists made up about 2% of the workforce. Generation Z was only about 1% of the workforce. And the baby boomers were around 30%. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, in 2020, that has shifted dramatically. There aren't really any traditionalists or not a measurable amount that are still in the workforce. The baby boomers have dropped to about 6%. And Generation Z is 25%. So in five years difference, we've had this huge shift in who's in the workforce. All right. Now, millennials are the Xers? The Ys. The Ys. So I'm the the Xers. Yep. I'm I'm a Gen Xer, but the millennials and Generation Y are the same. 
Those are okay. two, two terms for the same group. Okay. And they're the, they're the group that are kind of turning us all on our heads. Yeah. Yes, they um, are. Yeah. And it's interesting because whenever I give this talk to conferences, I say this is going to be an hour of equal opportunity generalization because you can't talk about groups, right, without doing a little bit of generalization, which typically isn't good to generalize. But I think it does help us understand commonalities among groups of people, particularly when we're talking about these generations. The millennials, Gen Yers, while I think they are, they're causing us to pay attention, they have a lot to offer. They really oh. do. Yeah, they and do. as much as I think there's some angst probably among the traditionalists or the older baby boomers, if we can just kind of focus on what they have to bring, they're going to keep us moving. They've kept us moving over the mm-hmm. last year in the mm-hmm. midst of this COVID crisis. Without those Generation Y millennials, I don't know where we'd be. So oh, it's interesting. Listen. Every group has good stuff to offer. Mm-hmm. I have always said the millennials will change our profession, will change a lot of professions. And I don't think that it's in a bad way. I think it's absolutely in a good way because they have no fear. We, right. we re- well, maybe not you guys, but I raised these kids and we raised them to have no fear and to believe in themselves. And you are awesome. And they, they bought what we were selling. Exactly. And it's not a bad thing. So not at all. I know a lot of people say a lot of things about them, but I think they're fabulous. So let's talk about the things that influence them each of the generations. Can you give us a recap of what influenced those generations and what we see from them? Yeah. And I think the influences of society is really what makes a generation who they are. And so it's important, I think, to understand sometimes I think people consider a generation is just, you know, kind of something between a parentheses, right? It's a year, it's a time span. And that's really not at all what it's about. The generation is really created because of this collective experience of being influenced by things that happened during your formative years. So for instance, the traditionalists, okay? So this would have been my dad's generation. For many of us, our grandparents' generation. Mm -hmm. They were influenced by World War II and -hmm. and the Great Mm -hmm. Depression, right? Possibly. And so for those folks, it's no wonder that they ended up being adults who were fairly frugal, who believed in hard work, who were very patriotic, who had this sense of duty and work before pleasure. And all of those things... Because when you grow up in the midst of a war, and when you grow up with, you know, maybe not having enough food to eat, I always say, this is why my grandma was so proud of the $2 bill she could give us, even though we might have been like, really? Or socks for Christmas? Wow, thanks, grandma. (laughs) But when you grow up without food, that's a big deal, right? And so I think that's really what kind of made the traditionalists who they were. The baby boomers, again, this is my mom, the Vietnam War, huge societal upheaval assassinations, right? Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, all of those things. And they really learned as a group, you know, if we come together and we have this kind of idea of collective action and coming together and having maybe it's a protest or a sit-in or all of this kind of community engagement, they learned that by coming together, you can make a difference. And so this is why with that baby boomer group, we often see they're termed like the committee generation, right? The baby movers love a committee. You got a problem? Let's get a bunch of people together and try to solve it. And when you think about what influenced them as young people, it makes sense, right? The Gen Xers, the flip side of that, 
are more independent. And one of the reasons the Gen Xers are more independent is their parents, who were these baby boomers, had more working mothers than we've ever seen before, yep. right? Yep. Women went to college. Women had careers. Many of the baby boomers were really defined by their careers. And so that's part of the reason that baby boomers worked for so long is because without being a nurse or an accountant or a teacher or a social worker, who am I if not for my career? And so a lot of identity is tied to career mm -hmm. with the baby boomers. And I think that's why for a while it was like, God, they're not leaving, you know, I mean, they, right. because your work mm -hmm. is who you are and they enjoy their work. There was a lot of work. And so I think because of that, the Gen Xers, we were the first generation of the latchkey kids. Yeah. You know, we came home and mom was at work. Yep. And so it made us into a very independent group of people. Gen Xers were also, the things that were happening in the world at the time for Gen Xers were things like the collapse of Wall Street. Everything was shiny and fancy and faster and bigger. And then all of a sudden we saw that that really was kind of smoke and mirrors. And so Gen Xers tend to be a little cynical because we know that just because you have a big fancy office and drive a Maserati doesn't really mean much because it can crumble really fast. Go away tomorrow. What's mm -hmm. that? It can go away tomorrow. It yeah. could go away tomorrow. And we saw it happen. So titles and all that doesn't really intimidate the Gen Xers as much. We're not as wowed by those kinds of things. And I think that's interesting when you see how Gen Xers function in the workplace, still respectful, but not always blown away by all of it. And I, for one, am very independent with how I like to work. I don't like group work. The worst thing you can say to me is, let's break into small groups. Yep. I just can't stand it. I'm the and same way. Same way? Yeah. That is so way. funny. I can't Because stand I'm it. the team person, even whenever I was AANA president. Yep. When something happened, I'm like, we're all getting in a room and we're hashing this out. Yep. You know, yeah. when we're having all the issues with the NBC uh -huh. RNA, uh -huh. uh, we're getting in a room, everybody meeting the suite, we're meeting at four o'clock and we're going through this and we're getting it done. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just so interesting. And I think it makes sense. When you think about, well, what formed them growing up? Well, I you know, we're kind of used to being on our own. And so maybe yeah. for us, that's more comfortable. So I think that's interesting. So that's Gen X. And then the millennials. So this is so interesting. You think about what happened in like the 80s, right? Early 80s and the early 90s. So we had these kids or maybe late 80s who were born and there were things like Jimboree and Mommy and Me and swimming lessons for six-month-olds and music classes for babies and all of this kind of stuff. There was so much enrichment and so much available that we ended up with a group of parents who were super duper involved in their mm -hmm. children's lives because the opportunity existed. I bet nobody took you to swimming lessons, Sharon, when you were six months old. Um, <laughs> you know, those things just didn't happen as much because there wasn't the availability, even for me, you know, it was like, go outside and play, you know, yeah. I'm not going to entertain you as much, but I think because we had more opportunity. We ended up with kids who were used to having their parents around and used to being entertained a lot. Not entertained, busy is probably a better word. So the millennials kind of get a bad rap because they need to be entertained, constantly yeah. supervised. What's next? I'm easily bored, all of that. And that's not a fault of theirs. It's a symptom of how they grew up. They also grew up in a more unstable world. The defining event for the millennials is September 11th. Hmm. They grew up in a very uncertain world. And so as parents, probably not surprising that parents hovered a little bit, right? Because the world just wasn't quite as safe. And so we ended up with a group of people who are fairly risk averse. 
They don't want to necessarily, although they're fearless in trying things, they want to make sure it's safe because they grew up in a world that wasn't quite as safe. Right. And so sometimes I think we see, I see this with learners sometimes who want to make sure their preceptors buy them all the time. They want to make sure they're getting feedback. Am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? Because they grew up in a world where every day at school, they got a little sticker that told them exactly how they did for the day. They might have had more constant feedback. And I think that's an interesting an interesting thing with our millennials. And our Gen Zers, we kind of have to see who they are. They are school shootings, a lot more instability in the world. The Gen Zs tend to be, these are my kids now, they tend to be very risk averse. They are hoping and coping is one quote that I read mm. one time because their world is very uncertain. They practice for active shooter drills instead of fire drills. Their world is much, much different. They've never flown on an airplane without taking off their shoes. You know, it's just a yeah. whole different world than how we grew up. So that's kind of a little bit of probably too much, but background on what are the things that happened in the world that made each group kind of who they are. So Aaron, now, ha- wait, wait, wait. I got to ask a question real quick before I forget, you know, Jeremy. I'll let you um, go. Because the Gen Zers have the school shootings, et cetera, the uncertainty, but yet you have the baby boomers that were doing drills because of the Cold War and the nuclear Uh disaster. So there's two groups work together really well. Absolutely. So is it the boomers and the yep. Zers, you think? It's the boomers well, and the it's the boomers and the millennials. Yeah. And a lot of times those are parents and kids. But those groups exactly, Sharon, that's exactly right. You see some similarities among those two groups because they did have kind of this societal upheaval and this kind of uncertainty in the world. And so both of those groups have a lot of the same approaches to how to solve problems. Aaron, okay, I, your Aaron, turn, I think, that, I think that is interesting because, you know, what I tend to find is that the boomers are the ones always saying stuff about the millennials. Mm-hmm. This group is lazy. They can't communicate yep. properly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it just seems to be that those are the two groups that, or at least what I find in a lot of what I do, that are... You know, they don't seem to get each other. I mean, I get the millennials. You know, I married one, right, Sharon? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, all right, Boomer. Uh, but anyway. Exactly. That's it. Okay, Boomer. So when I get this presentation, I have these great memes, you know, and one's okay, Boomer. And the other one is the baby Boomer saying, okay, Snowflake. And then there the best go. is the millennial or the Gen Xer is sitting back in the middle with their hands crossed, just watching the fireworks. There you go. Yep. We're the, <laughs> we're the middle children of the generation. That's right. Are the, the Gen Xers. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan.
How does this affect the, you know nurse anesthesia? I mean, we kind of want to relate it back now. So yeah, for I mean, sure. Especially as a program director, mm-hmm. you know, when you send these millennials in to do rotations with these baby boomers, yeah, how does that work? It can be really interesting, and I think one of the biggest places that we see this happen in the education environment is the approach and the attitude toward feedback and presence, physical presence. So one of the things that we see is, you know, when you have a new student and you're in the world of nurse anesthesia, and so you've got your preceptor. And we see this breakdown a lot when the preceptor, okay, you've got your Gen Xer, right, who says, they're good. I think they're good. I'm just going to stand out in the hallway. I want to give them their space. I didn't want anybody hovering over me when I was Mm -hmm. a new student, right? Give me my space. They think they're doing a favor to that student. And the student who might be used to having feedback all the time, you're doing great. Mm. You're doing great. You're doing great. They think, oh my gosh, I have the worst preceptor ever. They're never here. They're rude. They won't talk to me. Hey, they're kind of like the the anesthesiologist. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, sorry. exactly. I can throw the, that. And in the there, preceptor, right? the preceptor is thinking they are the neediest person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with them? So you can see where this disconnect yeah. happens because we each have our own preference. And so I think the way to bridge that is just to acknowledge it, right? So, you know, the first day you say, look, I'm a Gen Xer. I love to be independent, but I know that's not where you're coming from. How yeah. often do you want, how do you want me to be present for you? What do you need from me? And that can clear up a lot of problems. Well, what about on the flip side? Can you make that contract from the beginning when you're working with each student? You know, I haven't precepted in a, in a very, very long time. And I, I only did it for a few years, but I would try to contract with them initially. Okay. Mm. You tell me what you need. This is, about you. This is about your day, your experience. Yeah, and I how think- can I, what, what'll make you happy in this situation? Of course, with the number one priority being the patient safety. And if you find out that your student's not so good, then, you know, you've got to change that contract. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how are you handling that with your preceptors? Well, we are actually, um, one of our students a couple of years ago actually did um, an educational session about generational differences with this clinical CRNAs, which was fascinating. It really helped just kind of open this conversation and realize that, you know, we all have different approaches. And for me, understanding why somebody's coming at something from a particular perspective helps me appreciate it more. And so I think exactly, I think talking about this, I think educating everybody about this, you know, another, this was a really fascinating thing that I was in a workshop one time about a generational influence thing and they opened it up. This was really an interesting exercise. They opened it up to the group and said, you can ask anything you want of any different generation here and we'll answer it. And so one of the gals said, okay, I'm a baby boomer. Why are you guys always on your phones? You're always (laughs) on your phone. You're always clicking through your phone. And it was interesting because a very brave Gen Y millennial said, well, you know that big fat calendar you have in your pocket of your scrubs that has every little reference guide and has your your daily schedule and it's your pocket calendar, all that stuff that you pull out a lot during the day to look up drug dosages and everything, that's all on my phone. It's all on my phone. So it really was an eye opener. And you could see people say, oh my gosh, 
you know, you're not just Mm. playing Candy Crush. You're really looking up information. So how we use information, all of those things is just so different depending on what we grew up with, how we interact with technology, how comfortable we are with technology, all of those things. And so understanding where the person you're working with is coming from and their comfort level with that and getting that set out from the outset is a wonderful way to prevent miscommunication or misunderstanding. Yeah, I I think it's so interesting because I think about my employees at the office and I've got several Mm -hmm. millennials that work for me Mm -hmm. and they say, you know, you don't interact with us enough. You don't mm-hmm. give us feedback enough. Mm-hmm. They love and feedback. And I'm, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, I'm in my office. I'm working. I do my mm-hmm. thing. I don't need your feedback. Yeah. I don't need it. I mean, I'll interact and joke with you if I see you in the hallway, but I'm not coming down to your office and hanging out. You know, that's not yeah. what I do. But this is interesting because of that dynamic you're right. I mean, they want that. They want that feedback. And the lady that does our HR and stuff, she's like, you've got to get better at this. I'm just not good at it because I'm cool by myself. I can go to my yeah. office sometimes and be in there for 10 hours by myself working uh-huh. and not miss a beat. Yeah. It is so funny. That, that's absolutely no excuse because you are the person that always is looking for the path to betterment. So I'm not letting you <laughs> off the hook on this one. And you are one of the smartest men I know. Oh, um, don't tell Piers. But <laughs> I'll tell Piers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh. because he loves you and he would drop me like a hot potato <laughs> if he knew that you were available. But that being said, uh. that is zero excuse, Jeremy, because you are so good at, I mean, you're half psychologist in the Anyway, we'll I, have well, I know, I, yeah, I know, later. but it is it is interesting because I well, don't, it's I don't need saying. it. I don't need it. You know, they they need it and they crave it, and I, I do try to try to get better at it. But I just, I completely, Aaron, to your point, I don't understand it. It's like, what's wrong well, with you? That's you know? the reason why we're having her on. Yeah. Because being aware of it is the first thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and another yeah. another area that is a huge thing is communication and the way, mm-hmm. and this is universal. This is not even anesthesia. This is marriage. This is parent-child communication, anything. But we're all, we all have preferences in how we communicate. And part of yeah. that is driven by what the world was like when we were growing up. So I always think the best example is the idea of the thank you card. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my mom (laughs) gives a gift, right? My mom is a baby boomer, but the upper end of the baby boomer. Okay. So she, if you give a gift, expects that you write a thank you card. So here's the perfect example. Did you write a thank you card for that gift? I sent her a text. Mm-mm. It's Mm-mm. not a thank you card. A thank you text is not a thank you card, right? That's right. So it's exactly, so it's this whole, it's just such a perfect, perfect, yep. I think, example of how we, we like to communicate and why we miss people when we only communicate in one manner. So I'm a Gen Xer. Gen Xers, we love email, right? We email that. I think yep. everything could be done via email. My former boss was in a different generation. She would always say, when I was saying they haven't gotten back to me yet. And she would say to me all the time, have you picked up the phone and called them? Mm. And I'd say, well, no, but I sent an email. She says, you got to pick up the phone and call them. And by God, she was right. She would often be right. And I'll tell you what, the millennials, if you send an email, they don't, FYI, they don't check their email. 
You need to text them or they're not going to see it. And interestingly, Gen Z, they don't even want texts. They need a snap. They need a snap. They need a picture. Even texting is a little bit too much for the Gen Zers. They prefer a picture. So send an emoji, send something. They really like FaceTime because they're used to seeing faces and animation. So a text doesn't quite have what it needs. So if you've got a work group who's made up of all of these different generations, you better make sure that whatever notification you're sending out, you do it via email, you do it via a flyer on the bulletin board, you send a group text, and maybe you do a Snapchat. If you want to make sure you get everybody. Interesting, huh? That's interesting. That's very. And Sharon, I was just thinking, so don't send a thank you card to Aaron. Send her a text. Right. There you go. Send me a text. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Actually, though, I will say, and this is a little old fashioned in some ways, but, and this is another thing I think that's important. I've given this talk to students before and I had somebody come up and say, you know, technically I'm a millennial. But my parents were much older when they had me. You know, my parents were 50 when I was born, yeah. or 40 oh or something. <laughs> and so, right, I know. And I grew up on a farm in rural Minnesota. And so, you know, for him, he might be 27, but he acts much more like he's about 40 yeah. because that was the culture that he grew up in. So yeah. there are people who say, you know, I might be age wise here, but I identify with a different generation right. because of the the culture and, and the way in which they were raised. And then there's that beautiful group of the cuspers, which Sharon, you said you're probably a cusper, mm-hmm. meaning that you kind of straddle both generations. Mm-hmm. And those people are very, very valuable because you can help bridge those gaps. Yeah, because huh. I've got characteristics of Xers and I'm at the very tail end of the baby boomers. But back to this note thing. Boomers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a good friend yes. of mine serves in our state house. She's the first advanced practice nurse mm-hmm. to serve in the North Carolina house. And believe it or not, now she is a few years younger than me. So she's deeper into the baby boomer generation. But I always send thank you notes. That's why Jeremy's making all these faces while you talk about that. But she sent me a picture last week of the first note I ever sent her 20 years ago. And she said, it's our anniversary. You sent me this note 20 years ago when we first met. And I've kept it all the time. I'm like, holy cow, you kept it. She goes, I knew it would be important. Oh, oh that's awesome. And that's rep- Representative Gail Adcock, and she has kept oh. that note I sent her and took a picture of it and sent it to me. <laughs> I love wow. it. I love it. That's Sharon, really bridging the generations, well, right? I, I will Picturing, say. Picturing, texting, the thing. Oh, you know. yeah. Oh, well, she's brilliant. So. Anyway, but Sharon, it does ahead. impress me that you you write notes. I've always thought that because I am I am not good at that. I have to really seriously think about, you know, oh, I need to send a thank you note, and I dread it. Sharon does it in like it's second <laughs> nature. Yeah, I mean she she sends out all our thank you notes. She sends a you know, it's amazing to me because it's so foreign to me to do that. But she is so good at yeah. it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, interesting, and it's really impactful. You know, yeah. it's, it's not it now. feels novel, especially to a millennial, right? Because yeah. nobody yeah, gets exactly. that anymore. Yeah, especially now, people exactly. I, I get people comment on it all the time. 
Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So, Aaron, how should anesthesia groups and folks out there educate? How do we bridge this gap, you know, mm-hmm. for an anesthesia department? Or if you're a millennial, you know, what do you do to bridge the gap with, uh, you know, the X's or the boomers and vice versa? Yep. You know, how should all this come together? So I think one of the best things we can do is learn about generations other than our own and actually learning about our own generation, right? Doing a little self-reflection to think about, okay, why am I the way I am? Why can I be in my office for 10 hours, right? Because yeah. I'm a Gen Xer. Why has this working <laughs> why has this working from home not killed me? Frankly, I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice, you yeah, know? Cool um, because it. I'm a little more introverted, believe it or not, than people would think. But I think recognizing where we're at, recognizing the strengths and challenges for each generation and then harnessing them, right? Like instead of trying to make everybody the same, let's recognize the differences and then let's jump on it. So for instance, I think understanding things like technology, okay? Traditionalists, not very savvy with technology, probably. Baby boomers think technology is fun, but they can live without it, right? They know how to live without it. They can write a thank you note, right? Gen Xers, we know how to use a rotary dial phone. We don't do it anymore, but we wouldn't be puzzled. My kids have seen one and been like, you know, like it's a spaceship. You know, (laughs) what is this thing? Um, (laughs) Gen Xers, we are technologically literate. We can do it, but we're not savvy, Hmm. right? The Gen Xers, or excuse me, the Gen Y millennials, they are technologically savvy. And the Gen Zers are technologically native. They don't know anything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, they Mm -hmm. seriously don't know anything else. So when we get a new piece of technology in our anesthesia department, get the millennials on it. Get the Gen Zers. Have them be on the task force that meets with the rep who figures out how to use that new IV pump. They can figure out all the ins, the outs, how to update the library, all of those kinds of things on these pumps, and then have them teach it to the rest of us, you know, because that's their place. One thing that they might not be so good at is the pre-op patient interview because it relies, you know, it's dependent on communicating and talking with somebody. So get those baby boomers, get the Gen Xers who have actually functioned in a world without an iPad in front of them when they're doing their pre-op interview and have them teach the skills of how to really connect with the patient in that precious five minutes that you have before they go into the operating room. Because that's something that, generations who grew up with a screen in front of them might not be as adept at. So I think those are the things that we can do is recognize those strengths and then capitalize on them and use it as a way, use all of these opportunities as a way to foster intergenerational collaboration. I think that's really the key. Yeah. I mean, Sharon, you know, you and I have never had a problem communicating. I mean, from day one, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just been you know, and I think that's interesting because, you know, I am an Xer and, you know, I mean, our our styles are very similar, even though you have strong suits where I don't and vice versa. But 
I do find, like you probably do, how do you relate to millennials? I mean, do you find it easy? Are there things that you're just like, oh, it just grates me? on my nerves? Yeah. No, no, no. Millennials love me. Well, I, I know that, but do, are there things about that group that you think, <laughs> oh my God, that just annoys the crap out of me? No. I think the goal and why we're doing this too is you've got to appreciate the differences and what everybody brings to the table. And I think that's what's unique about you and me, Jeremy, is that we understand and we, we realize what each of us bring to the table. And then you bring the next generation to the table too, because you marry them. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. Well, you know, as, as Aaron was. But I mean, so we really have three generations at the table all at one time. And that's not a bad thing. And I think all of us could learn. And that's the reason why we have Aaron here is to bring it to light because CRNAs yeah. are the smartest people I know. And as long as they have the information and it's brought to them, I think they'll get it. And Aaron's the perfect person to put this information out there. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, I'm on the foundation board and, you know, we've got a, a diversity, equity and inclusion committee and I'm on that committee. But I've never thought about this as part of DEI, but it is. Uh, as I was just sitting here thinking, but, but we've never, we've never even come at it yeah. from that angle, but it is, I mean, because everybody has their strong suits and there's going to be things lacking from every person or what we think is lacking, but how do you not ostracize that person for not being like you? Mm, and, and this mm. is kind of oh god jeremy that's that's a that's great, great question yeah i mean it's you know the more mm-hmm. i was thinking through it i was like wow this is just another another layer there so um it's mm-hmm. interesting i knew i was gonna like this one so oh my goodness <laughs> that's actually that's pretty deep jeremy I can be deep sometimes, Sharon. Well, well I, I thought we were wading in shallow water, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that is a great point. You know, we talk about diversity of lots of different things, right? But, you know, generational diversity yeah. is a big thing. And, you know, including that. So think about, okay, I want to put together the perfect task force for something, right? Okay. So we have this, you know, something we're trying to do. Boy, to hit everybody, you'd be great to make sure you have a few different generations represented right. on your task force because you could say, how do we need to communicate this message to this group? What are we missing here? You know, who aren't we catching by only sending out a mailing? You know, how do we need to reach more people? Um, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Mm, well, good and- point. And let me tell you, the AANA as an organization has struggled with this for a number mm-hmm. of years. We've been talking about it. What I first got on the AANA board in 2010. So that was 11 years ago. And the conversations had already started at that point. I mean, how many times do we need to publish the journal in print? Right. Um, you know, it's yeah. a call. Co- it's a cost factor. But yet, mm-hmm. you know, you still have baby boomer CRNAs, Absolutely. older baby boomers than myself, and they want it in print. I want it in print. Yeah. But I then, want it in print. Yeah. But then you've got 
these younger generations they're like well you can print it off on your printer at home and you can read what you want right. to you know not that i always or who read needs them paper. Cover to cover. exactly right. you're killing trees whatever it is and right. you know it's been an ongoing discussion within the organization about the falling rates of people voting in our elections mm-hmm. we looked at that and do you know when that started it started hmm. when we went to all electronic voting. The average age of a CRNA is 50, 50 and not yeah. all of them will vote electronically. That's exactly. That's a perfect example, Sharon. That's a perfect example of yeah. switching to a new platform, thinking we're going to grab it. And then you miss half your members yeah. because yeah. they don't like to vote on or don't then, trust in online voting. And eventually mm-hmm. that may straighten out. But yet, you know, people keep on and on. But to be honest, our voting rates are 14 to 15 percent of our membership. Awful. Do you know what the voting rates whenever I ran for office, when people vote in down ballots, it was 18 percent. 18 percent now they'll vote for the president but down ballot my race whenever i ran for the state house Mm -hmm. down ballot voting was 18 percent so if we're getting 14 to 15 percent we're doing pretty pretty well but Mm -hmm. if you think about that the average age of the crna is what 50 years old now i think yeah but we can go back and so you need to think about how you're going to reach those that group we pegged it right back to when we went to electronic voting interesting yep perfect example perfect example we have to span all of it and thinking about you know who who's your end user and really you think about this i mean this in the context of patient care opens up a whole different can Mm -hmm. you know are we reaching patients are we communicating with patients effectively if you're standing in front of a 75 year old patient with an ipad in front of your face you're not going (laughs) to connect with them very well Mm -hmm. um because you know, that's just kind of not what they're used to. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, this is something that I've often thought about, but never delved into it. So I thank you for bringing this to light. I mean, it's it's so interesting. And Sharon, you always, you know, I think you've always known it because you always talk about the millennials in such a positive light and what they bring to the table and how they are fearless and you know, I can just tell from my end, you know, the new graduates, when we talk to them as they graduate, I mean, these are smart mm-hmm. people and they're driven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's amazing to see how smart they are. And I'm like you, Sharon. I mean, CRNAs are probably the smartest people that I know. It's just how do you bring it all together and make everybody work together? Right, so. right. You know, don't fight it. That's, I think, the biggest thing is, mm. is if we all stay in our, if we all stay in our little silos, right, and just complain that the baby boomers are grumpy and the millennials are needy and, and you know, all of those but things. The Xers which, are perfect, Aaron. Yeah, that's exactly right. You <laughs> yeah. notice I didn't say anything about them, <laughs> right? But it's everybody around us. That's but right. you know what? If we can't, you know, it's it's easy to identify our strengths, but we also have weaknesses. And yeah. mine mm-hmm. is that I'm fairly content to just say, I'll just do it myself. And that doesn't always work the best in a team-based environment. So we've got to be willing to, it's always harder to recognize our weaknesses, but you know, that's just as important. And I don't know, I just think talking about it, you know, let's own it. Let's just figure out why we're different and then figure out what we can learn from each other. 
Yeah, it's kind of like what was that book about your love language? How you, der- how exactly. you feel love? I mean, I I yeah. see it kind Gary of Chapman. parallel yep. to that. The five love yeah. languages. Yeah, yeah, th- uh, yeah. Oh, <clears throat> did I say seven? No, you didn't say, but they were five. Okay. So, Doctor Gary Chapman. <laughs> Maybe you have seven. Sharon, I have but seven. You might love have languages. seven. <laughs> but no, th- that's a great book. He's actually um, the church we used to go to. He was the pastor there, and he actually no did, way. Yeah, he actually did the premarital counseling for me and Sarah, Doctor Chapman. So, what's did. your love language, Jeremy? What do you think it is? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You go first. Guess so, mine. So it's interesting because Sarah will tell you that it's different than what I think it is. And she says that I vacillate between different love languages sometimes. So it's a, okay. that's a very deep conversation because we talk about this stuff a lot. Because sometimes I need one thing and she'll try to do that. And then I'm like, I don't need that. Oh, well, you got to tell us what that is. <laughs> I'm going to leave you in suspense. That might be a late night. (laughs) We need more vino for that one, Sharon. (laughs) Mine is, I can't remember what the language of it was, but it means more to me if you take the garbage out than Acts of service. Acts of service service. than if you tell me you love me. Because my sister is one of those, every time she finishes a conversation, it's like, I love you. I'm like, that means nothing to me. You know, <laughs> you tell me that every time you hang up the freaking phone. Now, if you told me once every 10 years, it would mean something to me, but <laughs> that doesn't yeah. mean anything. Me. I'm trying to remember what they all are. I know one is personal touch, acts of service. Gosh, personal but... touch is every single man on the face <laughs> of the earth. <laughs> um... What's yours, Aaron? Do you remember yours? What's yours? I don't know. I've never even read it. Really? Oh my I've never gosh. read it. I need Sharon, to read we got to send her the book. Yes, 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 yes. It's, send me it, the book. It, there you go. Really, there you go. Send me the book. Okay. It really is a great book. It really but anyway, is. In fact, we I might digress. have it in here somewhere. Let me see if I've got it. Um, and it was your pastor? That was some. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if it's in the here or not. Five I'm looking for the book. love languages. Anyway. Anyway. Back to generational it. differences. Yes. Sorry. So, yeah, I, but so. I think it's a great, I think it is a great comparison though, because it really is figuring out, you know, what works for us, but we can't just focus on what works for us, right? It has to be about what works with the people that we're working with. And, and yeah. I think that's really, really what it comes down to with understanding and appreciating where the other generations are coming from. Well, what is it? The golden rule is do unto others as you would have done unto you. And the platinum rule is do unto others as they would have done unto them. And basically it's saying, exactly. Yes. you know, you work to that person, not what works for you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Well, Aaron, this is great. Anything you want to conclude on as we kind of wrap this one up? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's interesting to kind of watch the world and see, you know, what's happening now and what does that mean for today's children? I think we are going to be fascinated to see what these 10-year-olds right now who have lived through this last 14 months of COVID Mm. end up doing with their life and how they change the world. Because I think the level of resilience and the ability to flex and bend and shift and all of this is going to be something I think that in 10 years, it'll be interesting to have this conversation again 
to see how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted those who are in their formative years right now. So right. it's ongoing. This is a conversation that won't end. It'll just change. No, I think it's it's very interesting. And that we have got to get the lightning around for you because I have been dying <laughs> to get one of these questions put out there about you, Erin. Okay, lightning oh round. Here we go. Oh what God. is your superpower? Okay. Oh, I make wine disappear. There you go. I yes. love it. I saw that one. I was like, that is awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love that too. What's your favorite word, Erin? <gasps> Did I write that on the sheet? Yeah. Well, um, I don't remember if I wrote that down. What is my favorite word? Probably opportunity. I don't know if that's what I wrote down, but if you had to ask me, I think I would oh. say opportunity. Hmm. Well, I like that. I do too. All right, if you won the lottery, what would you do, Erin? Oh, I would buy places by water. I would buy, so I live in Minnesota, I'd buy a cabin up north, and then I love the beach, so I'd buy a beach house, and I'd buy it big enough so all my family could come. That's our favorite thing to do, is just be together by the water. Mm. So if you could go back in history, what era would you go back to, and why? Oh, I love the early 50s, which is so weird because I feel like I'm a fairly progressive woman and that wasn't a very progressive time for women. But I just love the, this is so superficial, but the fashion and the kind of new, I do too, I do too. <laughs> the new, you know, the new technology that was coming out, you know, you're the mix master and, and all of those kind of, you know, fun gadgets and kind of, you know, that it was a very hopeful time, I think. So I would go back then. Uh, cool but you know too. what? You would have been, I'm sure you watch Mad Men because that's a fabulous yes, show. Yes, that's it. Men. That's exactly um, it. But you know what? You would have been one of the women who broke the glass ceiling. Maybe. Maybe there was more glass there. And so that's why. There it, was a it, lot of glass. Yeah, there was a lot of glass. So maybe that's why it's appealing. But yes, the whole Mad Men era, I love it. Ah, love it. Ah, I love it. Well, that was wonderful, Erin. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing for the CRNA community. Thank you for being on our podcast. And we just really appreciate everything that, you, that you're doing out there. Thanks for the opportunity. You guys do a great job of highlighting so many interesting and varied topics. And um, it's just fun to be able to be a part of this. So keep doing what you're doing and, and all you're doing for the community. We really, all of us out there, especially our young learners, um, it's so interesting. They listen. They really do listen, and and um, as an educator, I really appreciate that. So thanks for the chance tonight. And this will give you opportunity to play it for your kids, and they'll think you're a star. I remember oh, you saying you the last time, they're like, <laughs> they you're going to be on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's the way my kids are. I know. They were so excited. <laughs> they were so excited. I've locked them in the other room now tonight. But, so, <laughs> but between... you do that every night. <laughs> Between my mother listening to it and my kids, <laughs> they both think I'm a star. So that's good. So You uh, are a star, Jeremy. <laughs> All right, Sharon. Well, I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening I love to it. Beyond the Mask. <laughs> Great. With, thank you so much. With Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show, the single best way to help us grow is what, Sharon? Uh, share with your friends, with like, your friends. subscribe, put us on social media, tell everybody you know. There you go. I like it. So we're in the top 50 medical podcasts. We want to be in the top 10. Yeah. Headed to number one, right? That's it. And so. you know how I like to show you the number one. I do. I do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Until next time. It's a wrap.
Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.